Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. This is a podcast from The Bugle. The boy stood on the burning deck when all but he had fled, because he was listening to The Gargle. Welcome to the podcast that values loyalty to misguided principles over survival instinct. Hi, I'm happy to be here, but you can call me Alice. I'm your host, Alice Fraser. This is The Gargle, the sonic, glossy magazine to the Bugle's audio newspaper for a visual world. All the news, none of the politics. Let's get into the fun. Your guest editors for this week's edition are Deborah Francis-White and Josh Gondelman. Welcome. Hello. Hello, Alice. Hello. It's so exciting to have you here. It's a true honour and a delight to be here. I feel exactly the same way. Are we on three continents? I think we are. I think Mm -hmm. we're on three continents. I'm in Australia. I'm in London. I'm in home in New York City. It's a continent unto itself. Yeah. Let's have a, a look at this week's magazine. First, the front cover. The front page this week is Nicki Minaj gesturing off camera at what we can only assume are a pair of massively swollen balls while sexily modelling the latest in anecdote as evidence. Great topical front cover there. (laughs) Uh, And other headlines on the front cover include social media recording your fun times. Remember, every picture is a question rather than a statement. The question is, is this what having a good time looks like? Mm. Other headlines, Sydney due to open up from its long lockdown when it reaches 70% double vaccination, which should happen in about three weeks from now. Of course, the downside is you get your two jabs and now you have to go out in Sydney. That's a funny joke if you know about Sydney now. (laughs) The satirical cartoon this week is two homeless people arguing over the most revolutionary statement made by address at the Met Gala and into the magazine. Our top topic for this week is bioscience. This is the story of woolly mammoths coming back. Deborah Francis-White, I know you love your archaeology. 
Can you unpack this story for us a little? I'd love to. I at first assumed this was, in fact, a radical idea uh, for a Met Gala costume. Mm-hmm. Um, come with a resurrected woolly mammoth on top of, inside of. It is an extraordinary thing. So there's this science guy, <laughs> scientist, I believe they're called. One of them is called the science guy still. Yeah, he's basically decided to do Jurassic Park because he clearly hasn't seen it. He doesn't know what could go wrong. UFO hunter and Harvard geneticist announce $15 million effort to resurrect woolly mammoths. George Church and Ben Lamb have announced Colossal, a company with the explicit goal of de-extincting woolly mammoths. So, yeah, I mean, what an extraordinary thing to do to say, hey, do you know what this world needs? This on-fire world, this world that's on the brink of climate change, in the middle of a global pandemic, do you know what this needs? A bunch of rabid woolly mammoths, confused, not knowing what era they're in, still thinking they run the world, just out of control. But it's fine. I'm sure they're going to keep them somehow in a park and we'll just be able to go and visit them and nothing bad will happen. Um, His idea, or their idea is that this will help climate change because uh, we've let too many things go extinct. That's the problem. But do they not know about the cane toad experiment in Australia (laughs) where they thought, oh, we'll bring some cane toads over because they will eat the little little insects that eat the cane toads. Uh, The problem was in Australia, there were no natural predators for cane toads. So then cane toads themselves became a plague. I don't know who the natural predator of the woolly mammoth is, but we'd better find out and be busy de-extincting them ahead of time. That's what I'm going to suggest. This is how you end up with Jurassic Park in the end, Josh. I'll eat a woolly mammoth, <laughs> you know? I'm... You'll eat a woolly mammoth? Yeah. I don't think they're resurrecting them for, so you can have burgers. No, I don't think so. But you're saying we got to find the natural predator. And I'm just saying I would like to apply. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. You're going to have to catch it and kill it, though. Good luck. <sighs> That's a bad deal. What's funny about this is the way it was written. It's like Harvard geneticist and UFO hunter. And that is two different guys, but sounds like one fascinating guy. Like, oh, I work in genetics at Harvard, and then at night I just go out and look at spaceships. (laughs) Does he sound fascinating to you? He sounds someone like you'd meet on Tinder and go, oh, Mm, God. That's true. You know, I've been married a long time. It's been a long time since I've just met a weird man who wants to tell me about his hobbies. (laughs) Yeah, in a very real way, stick mm-hmm. stick with the marriage. No mm-hmm. matter how dull your husband is, he's not as dull as a man who claims to be a Harvard <laughs> geneticist, but also reckons he sees UFOs on the reg. He isn't. This is the thing. First of all, when I read this story, I thought bringing back the woolly mammoth was a euphemism for what ladies are doing in lockdown. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly working on that myself. But $15 million is what they've been given as seed money for their startup of building a woolly mammoth, which feels like... $15 million is a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money for a woolly mammoth. You know, it feels like a cheap woolly mammoth to me. I've really been thinking about that because $15 million can go so far in so many directions, but we don't know that it can bring a species back from extinction. I'd like them to try to just bring a bear back to life. Like, let's start there. Take a bear <laughs> that died, see if we can zap it to life or whatever it takes. I don't know if you... Maybe it takes some genetics or some UFOs to do it, but uh, whatever it is, it's like let's start. Th- give them, give them five hundred thousand dollars. See if they can, uh, they can uh, 
turn a fish into a mermaid. You know, just like easier shit. And then we'll see if they can bring a whole species Small back. Small incremental goals. Well, they're going to stabilize yeah. the permafrost is the idea that they'll be brought back to sort of stabilize the environment in which they would naturally thrive. But it, they're not they're not bringing them back from the dead. They're just going to use some woolly mammoth DNA and then some elephant DNA. It's basically cosplaying woolly mammoths. You don't create the environment just by living in it you know or you know what i mean like if i walk into a football stadium it's not all of a sudden a library because that's my natural habitat (laughs) or are you now a footballer or am i now a footballer this is the question they have apparently been working on a shoestring budget of a hundred thousand dollars that's a hell of a shoestring I don't want to see a $100,000 woolly mammoth. That is going to be... Have you ever seen the website Bad Taxidermy? I feel it would be mm-hmm. that. I feel it would be a very upsetting woolly mammoth at that point. I mean, I don't see that they can't do it. It's basically just Dolly the sheep. Mm-hmm. They've got some actual woolly mammoth DNA from, you know, picking around in the ice. Mm-hmm. Then they've, <laughs> they've got some kind of close relative to the woolly mammoth, some kind of elephant... And they're gonna, I believe in science, guys. They go into the lab, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> Just, I imagine it to be like what Jamie Oliver does. You know what I mean? Little pinch of this, a little mm-hmm. bit of that, throw it in, mm-hmm. mix it up. Lovely jubbly. Mammoth. Apparently, in as soon as uh, six to 15 years, these woolly mammoths could be roaming the Arctic, which is nice to know that the Arctic will still be around. In 15 Ooh. years? I think they should just put that $15 million towards the Arctic. <laughs> That's what it feels like. It's true. Could we genetically clone the Arctic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, do, is there technology to make ice? Because that's way more useful. Just buy $15 million worth of icy poles and send them to the Arctic. I've got an ice machine in my fridge door. Deborah, your fridge is more useful science than this. I do like that one of them... One of the science guys, they say he's best known for his work with UFOs, which does not impress me because if you worked with them well, someone would have identified the flying objects by now, right? That's it's, Yeah. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, this is an alien spacecraft or that was actually a blimp. But like when he still calls them UFOs, like you would never like if you are an epidemiologist you wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, I only work with unidentified diseases. It's like, well, then you need to get better at your job. Yeah, you can't be a UFO expert. You have to be an FO no. expert. Yes, you're not an expert until you either FOs. <laughs> <laughs> your ad section now, because if music be the food of love, advertising is the food of unquenchable acquisitiveness. And this episode of the podcast is brought to you by A Parable. What's the bravest thing you've ever said? Asked the boy. And the horse said, help. And the boy was like, hmm, profound. You're right. We all do need to reach out to other people. And the horse was like, no, I'm a conscious mind trapped in a beast of burden and my knee is sore, but I wouldn't want to tell anyone because they'll shoot me in the head. And the boy said, shut up and drink some water. And the horse said, you can't make me. There's a saying about it. And the boy said, if you don't drink some water, I'll shoot you in the head. And then the horse shut up and drank half a glass of water. The end. <laughs> And a pop-up clickbait ad uh, in this section. Six signs of organ failure. Number four is fatal. Next section now is our crime section. A Liverpool man has been mistaken for a fugitive mafia boss. Uh, Josh Gondelman, you're living in New York, the land of the Mm -hmm. fugitive mafia boss. Can you (laughs) unpack this story for us? Yes. So 
a man from Liverpool was traveling to the Netherlands when he was apprehended eating a meal at a restaurant mm-hmm. uh, and accused of being a, a mafia uh Dawn, I guess. I don't know the the hierarchy. All I know is from The Godfather. So I don't know if he was a Don. Dons, you have sub Dons, you have semi Dons. Yeah, he could have been a Sonny, a Michael. I don't know what the Fredo. <laughs> he could have been a Mafia Fredo. And he, this man has been on the run. Matteo Messina Denaro has been on the run since 1993. Or maybe he's not on the run. Maybe he just found a cozy place to hang out and nobody's found him yet. On the run implies, I think, an active flee and an active pursuit. He hasn't been so much on the run as he had just hasn't been to that restaurant since 1993 yes. right it feels like he's on the lamb the so lamb man ordered the lamb that's that's right that's what the confusion was they were like how ah, we found him i see i know from the mint jelly that this is the guy that's on the lamb <laughs> so this man known as mark l who was was cuffed while having a meal was eating at a restaurant in the netherlands at the hague and i americanly didn't realize there were restaurants at the hague I thought it was just the war crimes court, which I guess would have had to have a cafeteria, but certainly not a place where you would visit as a tourist and eat. But if I were on the run from the law for 28 years, the last place I would eat is a restaurant down the street from an international criminal court. It just seems like tempting fate. They came in hard for this guy. Authorities pulled a hood over his head and dragged him out of the restaurant, which seems a little unnecessary, a lot terrifying, and definitely a better story than them just asking him to come with them. I think in the moment... (laughs) I would have been like, wow, if I survive this, this detail is really going to get me a lot of free drinks when I get home. On the bright side, it's given me some inspiration for how to get out of awkward Tinder dates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just text your friend to come put a bag over your head. <laughs> yeah, it's that classic, you give them the, the eject text, right? That's just like, <laughs> hey, you need to give me a call. But instead it's like, hey, show up with the bag. <laughs> Send in the SWAT team. <laughs> I immediately thought, what a lucky bastard, because that is one hell of an Edinburgh show. Mm. That's your Netflix special right there. Mm-hmm. If, if you're a comedian, nothing could be better than being mistaken for an international criminal on the on the most wanted list and being north by northwested out of a restaurant with a bag over your head. This is this guy's lucky day if he mm-hmm. wants to write a novel, wants to do a TED talk, wants to do a comedy special. I hope he's going to use this in some way. Yeah. Because otherwise it was wasted on him and I wish it had happened to me. (laughs) It is terrible fodder if he aspires to sleep through the night ever again, unfortunately. We're looking for the perfect balance between like minimal trauma, maximal spectacularness. Mm -hmm. Like like with a bruise. You want the bruise to show. You want the bruise to show more than it hurts. Yes. You know, Uh, you desperately don't want a bruise that hurts more than it shows Mm -hmm. because then you look like a wimp. Yes. The article says his wife could not stop laughing (laughs) once she realised that he had been mistaken for this famous criminal, Italian criminal, because he's sort of this scouse, you know, cheeky chappy. And so I can only think the bruise is worse than the wound if his wife could not stop laughing, like if he's got serious PTSD trauma, it feels like that marriage is on the rocks if she can't stop laughing. Yeah. You should be able to stop laughing when your husband is in jail. 
When they told her though, she just was. She just got the giggles and just. She still apparently hasn't stopped laughing. <laughs> and the lawyer, I mean, the lawyer offered a pretty flimsy defense, right? That like he's from Liverpool, he's just visiting, listened to his accent. Clearly not this Italian criminal, but that is all exactly what you would say if he was a mob boss living under an alias. He had a perfect Liverpudlian accent. Yeah, you just learned an accent. <gasps> oh, maybe it is this guy. And maybe he thought rather than running and hiding and dyeing my hair and, you know, trying to change my appearance, what I'm going to do is going to get a dialect coach mm-hmm. to teach me an amazing Gauss accent. So that's what he's been doing while on the run. Mm-hmm. I mean, Liverpool accent's great fun but it's hard to take someone seriously as an international criminal if they sound like Ringo Starr mm-hmm. so that is exactly what that's happened. the move this guy has gone off and thought I'm gonna learn to speak like Ringo Starr and Thomas the Tank Engine that will be hilarious and no one will ever be able to take me seriously as a criminal again sadly that was the mobster's nickname thomas the tank engine mateo (laughs) (laughs) the hardest part of all this was this man was held for three days in a dutch prison which must have been so harrowing for him but was probably the best the actual criminal has slept in 28 years knowing the police thought they got him yes (laughs) and he's still out there just like oh I am living for three days. Also, Josh Gondelman, you're in America where the state of the prisons is uh, something shocking. I'm pretty sure Dutch prisons are, you know, Mm -hmm. they're okay. They're okay. Very socialized. Very social. Very Very data-based. Probably had a a meditation coach come in. If you live in Manhattan, Josh, that cell is likely to be much bigger than your apartment. Right. And the the tulips that they furnish you, I think, is a nice touch. (laughs) I suspect it's all clogs and windmills, mm-hmm. flat flat screen windmills Aww. in their prisons. In American prisons, you only you have to share your windmill time with everyone else that's incarcerated. It's, and the <laughs> and the condition of our prison windmills is deplorable, honestly. <laughs> Apparently, his his nickname was really Diabolique, Ooh. which I think it's with a K, which I think is quite a cool nickname, Diabolique. Oh yeah, if ever I take up. You know, online cam girl work. That would be my name. <laughs> what do you mean, if ever? <laughs> this is audio, Deborah Francis White. They can't see my sexy dance while I'm doing these jokes. Mm-hmm. Well, we can. <laughs> it's inspiring. That's where I bring the best out in my guests. <laughs> it's the sexy dancing. Why do they keep him for three days? How can they not have realised their error before three days? You'd think they'd realise it in three minutes slash three hours. I think because no one can fake a Scouse accent. For more than two and a half days. So they thought it was going to slip at that point. Yeah. They were going to break him. He's timed out. Let him go. Mm -hmm. I think that that, they must have just been giving him three days of intense Ringo Starr interrogation to see if the accent would drop, right? They would be like, "Um, have you ever lived in a yellow submarine? (laughs) That's all the time we have for our mob boss news, uh, because now it's time for your reviews. As every week, our guest editors have brought in something to review out of five stars. Josh Gondelman, what have you brought in for us today? Today, I've brought in pinky fingers. On one hand, a pinky is the smallest and flimsiest of all the fingers. On the other hand, it's exactly the same thing, but backwards. <laughs> a pinky finger lacks the versatility a thumb brings to the hand, as well as the raw brute strength of the index finger. It does not communicate rage as effectively as the middle finger, and unlike the actual ring finger, putting a ring on a pinky makes you look like you're in some kind of crime syndicate. 
Although, conversely, you can do a pinky swear, which is like a teeny tiny handshake, which I find very charming. And without our pinky fingers, we'd be no better than those four-fingered weirdos on The Simpsons. Pinky fingers received two out of five stars from me. It's a solid review, Josh. I'm going to keep mine around. Mm -hmm. Deborah Francis-White, what have you brought in for people? This week, I'm going to review Working for Zuckerberg because I've taken up working for Mark Zuckerberg for free. I do this job about between 12 and 19 hours a day by posting on his acquired site, Instagram, and also liking, sharing, keeping it active. Basically, I keep his ball in the air for between a working day and two working days a day in any 24-hour period. (laughs) I would highly recommend it in as much as it is... uh, It is a constant distraction. Uh, For lovers of 1984, the novel, not the year. The year was (laughs) fairly tedious apart from Wham. But the novel, you will probably remember that the proles, i.e. the working class people, were given a lottery by way of distraction. It would give them something to look at, something to hope for. No one ever won the lottery. And uh, uh, that has come true, one of the many Orwellian prophecies to come to light. But instead of the lottery, it is in the form of Instagram. It's always something to look at. It's always something to hope for. It's always something you think you're going to win. You never do. There is no prize for keeping your Instagram and other, other people's Instagrams aloft. It is just consistently what happens. Now, in order to fully appreciate Instagram, you should have a smartphone in order to do your job properly. Um, I would also like to add a a small review for my smartphone, who I am now in a monogamous relationship with. Uh, (laughs) If anybody wants to have a go on my smartphone, you can't because I'm on it. (laughs) This is the whole thing with my smartphone is I am on my iPhone for probably 20 of the 24 hours a day. I stare into its eyes lovingly. If my iPhone were a person, it would have a restraining order out against me. (laughs) And here is where my iPhone loses a star. It loses a star because when I want to buy something or get into something, it suddenly goes, I don't know who you are. I've never seen you before. Could you put in a passcode? I don't recognize your face. And I'm like, I f***ing look at you for 20 hours out of every 25. How can you not know who I am? And it goes... I've never seen you before. You might be a robot. What do you mean you might be a robot? You're a f***ing robot. You're a f***ing robot. You might be a robot. Please click on these things to prove you're not a robot. Why am I proving I'm not a robot to a robot I am in a monogamous, frankly, obsessive relationship (laughs) with? It is not clear. So overall, I would give Instagram as a distraction, given Rome is burning. As far as a sort of Nero fiddler, I'd give that four stars out of five. But being in a monogamous relationship with an iPhone who doesn't know who the f*** you are, I would give that one star because it's frankly demoralising. I do hate it when they ask you, prove that you're human, prove that you're not a robot because then you have to go off and love and suffer and live a full, deep, passionate life Mm -hmm. and uh, eventually die. Yeah, question why we're here at all. (laughs) By that time you've forgotten your Amazon Mm -hmm. order anyway. (laughs) Yeah, the moment's passed. That's all the time we have for our reviews section now, because now it's time for our technology section, our favorite section of the week. Here is a study that has come out about jerks, about jerks online. Deborah Francis White, you are a public woman. You know all about jerks online. What is this story? Well, I'm glad you've asked, Alice. This story is that the internet is shown to amplify and expose real life trolls 
but not create them. So what is normally said is, ah, well, the internet makes everyone aggressive. It's Twitter, you see. It's the format. It's the forum. It's the play. It's not people. People are lovely. But when they when they only have 280 characters to express an idea, arguments become extremely flammable. You wouldn't talk like this to someone in a pub if you could see their eyes and their face and their little Bambi sad expressions. Turns out, according to this study, not true. People are assholes and the internet exposes that. But apparently if you're a hostile person, you're a hostile person in the pub and you're a hostile person online. And it doesn't actually alter aggression. It just gives a more frequent forum to it. I guess you don't have to sit in the pub with an asshole. You just move pubs. But in, on Twitter, they can come and find you. They don't have to come and ask to sit at your table. You can't say no. I'm going to question this, quite honestly. Yes. Yes. I also have theories about this. So let's, let's, let's dive in. Because I am a charmer in the pub. I'm a f***ing charmer. And I will certainly not get into a... It would be so unusual that I'd get into a row with anyone. I would say, hmm, that's an interesting point. Like if I'm... Now I really notice it that I have to ally all the time because you know, I do a podcast called The Guilty Feminist and I can't let things go and I, and I don't want to. Uh, where I would have been polite about five years ago and thought, oh, that's not a very nice attitude and casually said... Now I feel I have to say something every single time which makes me so much fun in a bar. There are nuances of intersectional feminism where I'll go, oh, well, you know, and I and I, I am being better at allying all the time and not letting things go. But I say it in a very bridge-building way, uh, always do. And so it's unlikely to escalate in a pub. And they will say, oh, I know what you mean, but... And then I will say, I know what you mean, and... And that's how the discussion will go. While we tilt our heads to the side and lean forward and do a warm smile. Now, I had to stop arguing with people on Facebook. I had to. Because it's so easy to get so irritated when you can't see any of those other social cues. And it can escalate into a proper, furious, day-ruining fight. I've missed whole parties that I was meant to be at well, because I was arguing with some unbelievable twat on Facebook. But the thing is, if I'd bumped into that unbelievable twat at a party, I would have thought, oh, well, they're a friend of a friend and so on and so on. On Facebook, they're always a friend of a friend. That's the thing. On Twitter, anyone can come for you. But on Facebook, they're always a friend of a friend, if not a friend. And I've had some serious, serious escalated arguments that probably would have involved not necessarily punching, but some little a light pushing, little light pushing, shoving, maybe a, a shin kick for sure. For sure, if those things had been said verbally, someone would have been pushed into a bar. That's one of the things about this article. They talk about, oh, maybe um, this is in part because you don't see the other person's face, right? You you don't acknowledge their humanity because you don't see their face. But I also think people kind of pop off online because you can't see their face, but you know that they can't punch your face. And that's a bigger mm. distinction to me. Absolutely. Very valid and important distinction. So my theory about this is there was a man who used to sell nut butter down the road from me. Mm -hmm. And you'd walk into his shop and he would call you captain. And he'd call everybody captain. And he made incredibly delicious nut butters for expensive prices. Uh, and in his shop, there was he had this theory that you needed to do poo six times a day to be healthy. So he'd started every day with a, a drinking a litre of salt water and then his walls were covered with pamphlets about 
parasites in tap water and government mind control and pyramids. And he was this like eccentric and lovely pillar of the community. And I'd go in every week and buy his delicious nut butters and have a chat with him and he was fine. The problem with the internet is that these people can now find each other. Mm. Then they cease to be a pleasant eccentric at the fringes of society and become something... They become someone who convinces 100 million people not to have a vaccination. They become like the Megazord in in the Power Rangers. A bunch of different conspiracy theories joined together and then they blame the Jews for whatever the addition of all those things is. <laughs> I saw somebody the other day convince themselves to get a vaccination uh, because of the Jews. Hey. No. You're welcome. They said Israel's managed to vaccinate 90% of its population. And if they're running the world, they wouldn't do that if the vaccines didn't work. And normally if somebody said the Jews in that tone of voice, I would take issue with it. But at this point I was like, I'm just going to leave that. (laughs) You've managed to inception your conspiracy theories all the way around. To the point at which I'm happy. That's so I let it go. Wow. So they did. They were using anti-Semitism as kind of a public health motivator, which yes. of all wow. the reasons to be anti-Semitic, I guess that's at the top of the list. Yep. Yeah. It was just that there's no way that if the Jews were running the world, then they're vaccinating the people, then there's no way the vaccine doesn't work. So I'm gonna get a vaccine. Wow. I thought. Oh. Oh, I'm just going to walk away from this because I don't want to discourage the guy, but mm-hmm. also, oh God, I can't ever talk to him either. <laughs> yeah, that's one for an ally, but I don't know how I would ally. Um, I, I, I think I might just shut my laptop and and walk away fast. I mean, at least they're getting a vaccine and not discouraging other people from getting vaccines. At most, oh God, it's a real philosophical dilemma because for the other people that interact with this man every day you go well you should be vaccinated to keep yourself and those people safe but because of the kind of uh deep-seated anti-semitism that led him to that conclusion i do have in my worst moments an impulse to go hey man just stay unvaccinated and let people cough in your mouth. <laughs> well, then he'll spread it. Oh, maybe this is a way to get people to be vaccinated. So maybe we could say to men's rights activists, we don't want any men to get vaccinated. Feminists don't want men to get mm-hmm. vaccinated because we want you all mm-hmm. to die. Yeah, because COVID causes erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they'll be out with their pamphlets going, going, the feminists don't want us to have mm-hmm. vaccines because they want us to die. Mm-hmm. Listeners, please don't email me or Alice Fraser to say that I want men to die. I don't. That was a joke about what might motivate a men's rights activist Mm -hmm. to vaccinate himself that feminists could use. It's not what I'm saying. Please don't misquote me. I love men and I don't want them to die, just to be clear. But as, as alluded to at the top of the show, the vaccine does give you giant balls. (laughs) (laughs) And your fiancé will leave you, so that's tough. That's her lookout, you know, she if she doesn't like giant balls, there's plenty more fish in the sea. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Take me as I am or not at all. <laughs> Stop trying to change me. That's all the time we have for our technology section right now, because now it's time for our This Isn't Politics section. So for the, you, as you know, the gargle is... Uh, resolutely apolitical we we do all of the news and none of the politics and that's our selling point but this is a crossover because it does it is animal news zebra animal news this is the story of congresswoman norton uh 
Eleanor Holmes Norton, having had to deny that she has set loose a bunch of zebras who are currently on the run in the DC suburbs. Josh Gondelman, you're our zebra expert. You Mm -hmm. see things in black and white. Mm -hmm. Can you unpack this story for us? Yes. So Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, after six zebras were set free in, uh, in a Maryland farm, DC area farm, she had to release a statement saying that she she was not responsible for this, which I figured she didn't do it, right? But if someone had accused me of setting a bunch of zebras free in the D.C. area, I don't think I would deny it outright. I would want to leave a little mystery there. So maybe people would, would think that, that I did do it because it seems like a cool thing to do. I would have gone like, wow, it would have been extremely reckless, but uh, pretty badass if I had done that. And then wink. And then just like... It's like O.J. Simpson's book, if I'd done it. <laughs> I wouldn't even use the same title. What's O.J. going to do? He's not a vengeful guy. <laughs> I mean, like, legally speaking. Farley Norman MacDonald. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite part of the story, is that Congresswoman Norton has recently come out. She's, like, very... Um, she She's fought really hard for statehood for the district and and so maybe i guess if if she had released the zebras it would have been a protest like these zebras get as many votes for president as the citizens of washington dc but she also has been known to oppose she's recently opposed unnecessary fences in the district and i would say that the fences stopping zebras from running wild through residential neighborhoods to me qualify as necessary fences (laughs) those are quote unquote some of the good ones (laughs) mostly i don't love a fence but on this occasion Mm -hmm. i can see the use of them Mm -hmm. she sort of has done that wink wink nudge nudge thing though josh hasn't she she says my alibi is solid but given my career of fighting for statehood for the district which includes years of explaining the importance of and having consent of the governed and blah, blah, blah. Given my recent opposition defences, I can't understand why the charge was made. And that's a bit like saying, I didn't drunkenly sex John Hamm, but I can sort of see why it's on brand and you might have think I did, might have mm-hmm. thought I did. I know. Wink, wink. I understand why that would be appealing to people. <laughs> yeah, like Pretty Patel saying, I didn't push that refugee child into a puddle, but I can kind of get on board with why you thought it might have been me. It is the kind of thing I'd do. It's her vibe. I think if you had freed the six zebras, you would be rushing to take credit for mm-hmm. the six zebras. There's plenty of people, I feel, who could uh, hook their star to this wagon of freeing the zebras. Mm-hmm. I want to see people fighting over who freed the zebras, not people trying to deny this charge. Yes, I, I right. I, I feel like it is kind of the whimsical type of crime that honestly there are a lot of organizations that could use this kind of whimsy in their pr portfolio right there's a lot of kerfuffle right now in afghanistan about the way the taliban is ruling the nation if they were also like and we did the thing with the zebras that's pretty funny right yeah you get brownie points yeah i mean if there's any way to win instagram deborah francis white it's probably by releasing six zebras in the dc suburbs well i do have a deborah zebra you know <laughs> kind of that that would be my mob mob boss name it wouldn't be diabolique it would be zebra (laughs) can't domesticate her can't ride her uh, yeah Mm -hmm. i'm not saying it was me but i am saying my niece calls me auntie zebra that's so cute and i'm not saying it wasn't me. hashtag free the nip free the zebras (laughs) i like that twofer on on those hashtags yeah zebras have nipples is Mm -hmm. all i'm saying 
You can't free one without the other. <laughs> I like that officials say that they couldn't catch the zebras because they're too fast. And it's like, you literally enforce <laughs> the law against speeding. If you can catch a car that's going too fast, you can catch a fancy horse going too fast. <laughs> There's no way a zebra's faster than a car. That's all the time we have for our freeing zebras section because we have come to the end of the show. We're flipping through the classified ads at the end here. Josh Gondelman, have you got anything to plug? I have a podcast called Make My Day. It's a comedy game show where there's only one contestant, so the contestant always wins. Uh, and then I'm I'm starting to do a little bit more stand-up here and there until someone's like, knock it off, you can't do that. So uh, I should put my dates up at Josh Gondelman. Dot com and then at Josh Condom on Twitter and Instagram. And Deborah Francis White, have you got anything to plug? I do. I do a podcast called The Guilty Feminist, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts or all the info at guiltyfeminist.com. And it's about our noble goals as 21st century feminists and their hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine those goals. Uh, also, could you please check out Choose Love at choose.love? Uh, it's an amazing organization that supplies desperately need things to refugees and works with uh, refugees everywhere so please go if you've listened to this podcast for free and you think I should have paid for this the quality was so high go and buy something for a refugee at choose.love otherwise share some choose love lovery at choose love on your socials because somebody else might donate and you can support The Gargle and get an ad-free version of the show uh, in Apple Podcasts by going to thebuglepodcast.com slash donate. I would like to thank our roving reporter for this week, the Tulip Wizard, who sent in the zebra story. If you have a story that you would like to send in, please tweet us at HelloGarglers. And you too can be a roving reporter on this fine and reputable podcast. This is The Gargle. I'm your host, Alice Fraser. Find me online at, at Alliterative on Twitter and Instagram. That's A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. Or support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Alice Fraser, which is a one-stop shop for all of my podcasts, blogs, and uh, other things, including my weekly tea with Alice Salons, where we just have a nice chat. Your editor is Ped Hunter. Your executive producer is Chris Skinner. This is an Alice Fraser and Bugle podcast production. I'll talk to you again next week. You can listen to other programs from The Bugle, including The Bugle, The Last Post, Tiny Revolutions, and The Gargle, wherever you find your podcasts. 